Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now, with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and tonight we have Tom Hager from a very small community, and he uh, does a number of things. He's operated a company, he's a choir director, or organist, and both, and he does a lot of other things. He's also a techno nerd, and likes uh, likes music big time. So welcome, Tom. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's start with your academic experience after high school. <laughs> oh, we're going to bring up my shame right off the bat. Okay, let's get right into it then. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I, during most of my childhood, I uh, studied I studied piano, and so I went to university to be a uh, piano performance major. Uh, went to the University of Western. I did uh, a few really solid years there where I spent, you know, seven, eight hours a day in the practice room, just, you know, really going at it and being really serious about it. And I loved, I loved it. I loved practicing. I loved music. I loved studying music. I had some great teachers. Um, what I did, what it took me 30 years to realize is I hated performing in public. <laughs> so I was, I was pursuing the wrong path altogether from, uh, from that perspective. And, um, and it all sort of came to a head with a, with a, with a, you know, a graduating concert. I can't remember. It was maybe third year. And, you know, I was a few courses away from completing my degree and, and I had a bit of a meltdown. Um, it was on stage. I, I don't know if other people would characterize it as a meltdown for me. It was like the world came to an end. I had, you know, a bit of an issue on the, on stage and got through it. And that was the last time I really performed classical music in public in an official setting ever Again, and that was, you know, my, I was 22 or something at the time. So that was, and that was the end of it. Uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't pivot. I dropped out of school altogether. I was doing a piano major, uh, piano major and a philosophy minor. And I think I looked at my transcript. I think I have three courses left. I should really get that undergrad, but I didn't get it. So, and that's been, that's my academic story, Peter. Okay. So. You got it through that, and now we got to turn to career. You have a lot of career path, I think, to tell us about. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to bore the audience with the the niggly details, so I try to get through some some pretty broad strokes. Um, you know, when I was when I was seven, my mom was taking a comp sci course at the University of Guelph. And so she had a terminal back in the days that hooked into the mainframe via a modem with the acoustic coupler. And uh, so she showed me how to, you know, do really, really simple stuff, make little print statements. And I remember my very first code when I was seven was to print out a picture that looked like a rhinoceros made out of X's or an elephant. Or I don't even know, just a blob really. Uh, and I was very, very proud of that. But ever, from ever since then, uh, you know, computers were a big part of my life. Uh, my dad picked up back in the old days, picked up a ZX 81, which was an old, old, old computer, but one of the very first ones that was affordable, it was tiny, had nothing, no memory in it. I mean, my watch has more processing power than 20 of those now. 
Um, but, but it was great. You know, we had a computer and we had a bunch of different kinds. And so I started to code and started to get into it. And, and, and so I always had that background and even through university, I kept that up a lot. Um, so, so when I, um, when I, when I abandoned that one career uh, of music, I always had the computer side to fall back on. And at first it, it actually manifested. Interestingly, it, it, I started to gravitate toward the creative side of the computer arts. And uh, this was the eighties. So, or the late eighties. So desktop publishing was a thing and it's no longer a thing anymore. We don't call it desktop publishing. It's now a very pejorative term, but back in those days, it was the new thing with the apples, uh, the apple classics that had come out. And, and suddenly there was this whole world of, of creative possibilities open to someone who had a bit of computer savviness. So I jumped into that. And uh, in fact, I founded my first, agency in in 87 88 i'm not exactly sure with a partner who was older than me and had a bit more business sense than me and and together we we founded the electric leonardo desktop design agency uh, i'm not really sure how many clients we actually had a dozen maybe it didn't last very long but it certainly uh, you know kept us in beer and skittles for a little while and and yeah, so I pursued that sort of that side of things for a while, but um, I was, ended up going to a print house uh, and and there I started to learn the the real, the old school printing craft, you know, the, the, the pre-press craft and, and all of that stuff. And that really fascinated me. Um, and, and just because of, of the, the tradition, you know, we're going all the way back to Gutenberg and typesetting and, and, and those professionals. So I worked with a lot of older people and they took me under their wing and I sort of showed them the ropes with the computer side of things that they knew was their future or, or their doom <laughs> either way, but they were very motivated to sort of figure that out. And that sort of parlayed into, um, being scooped up and moving to Toronto to teach in a brand new Canadian pre-press Institute. So this is a school, a privately owned school that was funded uh, partially by the government to retool these professionals that came from the old printing industry and teach them the new way of, of digital publishing, I guess, as we call it now. And so, so, you know, at 22, 23, I was now teaching people much older than myself and I loved it. I really enjoyed teaching uh, There's, You know, I think there's a strong teaching, um, teaching vein in my family history. And, and so I sort of jumped into that and really, really enjoyed it. And then from there, I started teaching at Humber College and at George Brown and a number of other institutions throughout the city, ending up teaching at Ryerson University for a while and all of this without a degree. So that was kind of a, a feather in my cap and kind of fun. Uh, and the reason was simply there was just not enough people that had the degrees that also had the expertise in the practical world of, of digital printing. And so that really got me a seat at the table um, for quite some time. So that's sort of that, that side of the story. And then um, I don't know how far we want to go here, but eventually, you know, I started doing a lot of freelance work and I bring the creative side and the coding side. So the coding started to come back when the internet started to come up, you know, in the nineties, we started to see websites and that was really interesting. So I, I started to take the creative side and the coding side and put that together and you could create websites or you could create interactive software and some really interesting things there. So that became um, a, a way of making money. And I, I found contracts, I found some freelance work and, um, and eventually, um, you know, parlayed that into a fairly decent living with a number of interesting other stops along the way, notably uh, working for Xerox as a color specialist, uh, working at a, at, a, at a digital photography company for a while as a salesperson. I hated that job. <laughs> Actually, I hated the other Xerox job as well. As it turns out, sales culture wasn't really my thing. I preferred the, the, creative, the creative side. Um, and at some point, I, I also spun up another agency then um, called RGB 
design with a partner and uh, we had a good go of it for for two or three years we were based in toronto right across the street from the toronto sun uh building there in, in the heart of the design district and we had a really good a really good time um i made a really good go of it for a while until that partnership just you know sort of ended and and then at one point i found myself uh in the room uh with a with a ceo who was about to expand his consulting business into europe and he needed a team to go off to belgium to do some implementations for a pharma company called siebel uh at a sorry for a pharma software company called siebel at a pharma company called Boehringer Ingelheim, which we know from a bunch of things, but notably Dulcolax and, and, and of course, their, um, some of their um, uh, asthma medication and so forth. And, um, and so I was in the room and I was just their web designer, really. And, and I just happened to be in the room about to present some, some mock-ups of some work that I had done. And so I was just waiting for my turn to talk to him. And, and he, he just sort of announced to the room, hey, uh, anybody here speak French? And I just said, oui, moi je parle français. And they just sort of turned and stopped and like, well, would you like to be a business analyst? And I said, hey, what now? <laughs> so they quickly told me what that was all about. And it was about, you know, listening to people and taking notes and coming up with uh, a good analysis of the situation and making some recommendations. I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll give that a try. So the next thing I knew, I found myself in Belgium, uh, really on the force of the fact that I had studied French, you know, all my, all my life and, and came from a French family. And, and a quick correction, Peter, the name is Auger not auger. <laughs> so, so there you go. Uh, I'm authentic. I'm, I'm legit. And so, yeah, so I found myself in Belgium and then I went from being the business analyst and then the, that the team that I went with, they ended up kind of burning out and leaving and I stayed, I was having a time of my life. Um, it was a really interesting work. It was in a new culture. It was in a new city. I adopted Brussels as my second home. And so I sort of stayed as the liaison and then the next team came and the next team came. And so I stayed through three or four teams and eventually I became the project manager and I really sort of took charge of that project and had a blast uh, also met my future wife there even though at the time I had no idea she was going to be my future wife I was just like yeah let's have some fun and uh, and and so he said I spent four years in in Belgium and Germany and the UK and eventually coming back to Montreal all in that same sort of project management line of work and then got back into marketing and started doing events and trade shows. And that was a lot of fun. It was something new again, something really interesting, uh, helping companies bring, uh, you know, their trade show visions to life and, and actually going down to New York or Los Angeles and helping them set up their booth and plan it all out and so forth. So it was, that was a really glamorous lifestyle for a while and, and lots of fun meant a lot of traveling um, and sort of gave me an insight into another world of marketing for a while. And so by and by, that led me back to a bit more freelance work. And then finally, I, I, I fell in with a wonderful man named Joseph Leo, who had a two-person you know, design operation, and he invited me to be a partner. So I paid my way into a 50% partnership with him. And uh, we formed this corporation, and, and we really spun up a wonderful company called Zeitgeist. And uh, we built that up for about a decade. Uh, at our peak, we were only 10 people. It was humble. It was a very small boutique shop. We did really, really good quality print and, and, and design work, as well as web work and coding work and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, you know, Joseph taught me so much about um, 
you know, people management. He was just a wonderful, caring person. We knew each other through teaching. We both taught in the same program. And so, you know, I'd already known of him and known that he was a, a great person. And this was just, you know, that opportunity to work and learn from him every day, work with him every day and, and, and build up a team of, of really talented young people that were all uh, really, you know, excited about our clients. Many of our clients, we kind of handpicked our clients to be people in the green energy space or in the social purpose area. Um, and, and that, and that was, that felt good. So not only did we have a nice portfolio of work that we could show, but we could be really, really proud of our roster of clients. So that lasted a really, that was a great run for 10 years. And, um, and then, and then that sort of, you know, the, it was starting to come to an end and it was time for us to, to split apart and, and do, do different things. And at that time, a former student of mine from the Ryerson days came back to me and he had started up an agency, uh, which at the time, I guess, ended up being called art and science. And uh, so he made me a, an offer that at the time I couldn't refuse and, and really promised a, a, um, a higher level of clients, a higher level of work. And, uh, and, that, and so invited me to be, to, and created the, 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 the CTO role for me, a chief technical officer. Uh, so, you know, sitting at the, at the, at the, at the top of the executive team and, and really running the, um, the, 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 the engineering side of that, of that company. So, you know, in terms of, in terms of sacrifices that I made, I, I didn't realize it at the time I was sacrificing a little bit of that creativity in favor of, of that sort of the engineering hat that I ended up wearing. Although the early days were still a very, very creative time with lots of really interesting projects coming along. We did, we did some um, Canada 150 projects. Uh, the art, art and science, as you can tell by the name is very arts and culture or was very arts and culture focused at the time. And so we had some really exciting projects, big things for the city of Mississauga, for TIFF, uh, Luminato. Uh, I wasn't part of every one of them, but certainly some of the, some of the later work. Uh, and we got to actually get into this really interesting area that I hadn't touched before, which was called physical computing uh, and, and, and allowed us to sort of merge the programming side, the creative visual arts, and then creating physical things, things made out of wood and plastic that had buttons and knobs and dials, things that people could interact with, things that people could have fun with. And I had the opportunity to bring my musical background back into my career to a degree by creating wonderful interactive electronic music instruments that were on public display, for example, in the square in Mississauga uh, for, for over the Christmas holidays, for example, and, and hundreds of thousands, or not hundreds of thousands, let's say thousands of people uh, got a chance to co up and play this thing for free and it was connected to all the lights around so it actually lit up the entire square depending on the piece that you were sort of playing and it was a, a very accessible thing where anyone could go up and it would make beautiful music so all of that felt really really good and and we so we had a number of those kinds of projects but of course with with covid um all of that kind of thing came to us, came to a halt because the last thing you want to do is make an excuse for people to congregate and touch the same stuff and breathe on this in the same air. And so all the experiential market has really declined. And, and we were just, you know, at this point, art and science is very much focused on a growth trajectory. So the, that, that creative side, it's still a very creative company and the work is very creative, but in a much more, let's call it uh, conventional way, you know, corporate websites, strategy, branding, and that sort of thing. So that kind of takes us up to today with the, I guess, the exception of this little side venture that COVID has afforded me, which is to um, 
to become part of the United Church again through my sister's involvement in Norville United Church out of Georgetown. And because of COVID, and Norville went sort of online and uh, and did this phenomenal job of broadcasting their live service on Facebook and YouTube and inviting the congregation to, to type their comments in and in real time and, and just really uh, adapting, pivoting on a dime uh, to the new reality. And then suddenly for the first time, I was able to attend my sister's services because my sister is the youth minister there. So I was able to attend her services regularly, which, you know, normally I, I wouldn't have been able to drive out there all the time. And so I was able to experience that. And at some point she said, Hey, Tom, you want to join the virtual choir? And I thought, ah, sure. You know, I, I've been singing in the shower for years, so why not? Let's do that. And, uh, you know, little did I know what a, what a soul sucking challenge it is to stand there, you know, and sing to yourself with a microphone and no other choir around you. And then to have to listen to that and to send it off to be part of something else. And so, and I realized for the first time that I don't actually have a great singing voice. In fact, it's really, really bad. And all those times my kids told me to shut up when I was singing sting in the car, they were actually, it was true. (laughs) So it was a humiliating thing, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to stick with it. Even if, you know, music is no longer about being the concert pianist, being the center of attention, being the superstar. This is about, contributing to worship and so if i can just offer my voice you know i don't want to say as a sacrament because that sounds really grandiose but offer it as a bit of a spiritual practice if nothing else and let you know let the mixer decide whether they wanted to have my voice in or not or how loud or whatever uh that would be fine and it was not an easy thing i I talk about it now because i've let go but it was six months of just torture to be honest with you as i was sort of re-understanding what music meant to me and what it was all about and 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 so forth Uh, but it paid off and 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 since then you know the the previous music directors, they've had a baby and they've kind of pulled out a little bit of that. And they asked if I want to step in at first it was temporary and now it feels like it's kind of ongoing and, and it's been a constant in my life. And so, you know, Peter, I've been talking for a long time and I apologize, but uh, it was, um, it's really important for me to, 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 to wrap the story up because we started with my failure in music and now I'm getting goosebumps even as I talk about it, you know, now for the first time, it's not a career but it's a vocation and I'm performing and I'm practicing and applying my musical knowledge for at least, you know, a good portion of every week. And that's been going on for now a year and it just feels like coming home. So that's my story to date. So you've come full circle. That's it. So tell us, Tom, you've been involved in a number of partnerships and I've been involved in coaching and mentoring a number of partnerships and there's pluses and minuses to partnerships. Have yours been pretty well positive, or have you had some negative experiences? That's a great question, Peter. And they have been certainly both. And you know, I've also cons- I've done a lot of freelance work where essentially it's a partnership of one, <laughs> and so I can contrast that very much to to a partnership, uh, my, my, you know, my first two agencies, agency is a very grandiose word for what we were, but we're just with me and my partner. So it's just two of us and at Zeitgeist, you know, with me and my partner and, and seven other people and at art and science now it's, uh, you know, we're 50. Um, and so, 
it is absolutely a mix of good and bad and you need to go with your eyes wide open if i think of my if i think of my second partnership which was with a gentleman who was older than me we were not morally aligned if i had to sort of really get right down to it uh, we enjoyed each other's company we had a good time and we respected each other creatively but we were not morally aligned. And so when it came to those hard moral decisions around the business or even around personal life, uh, uh, that, that caused a real friction. So I would say that, you know, my lesson learned from there is never get into business. Sorry, my lesson for me, not for the world, but for me, because I feel like I'm a fairly moral person is, is I need to be aligned with people's values. If I'm going to be in business with them, whether I'm an employee or whether I'm a partner, my my third agency with Joseph was a very different, and you've heard me talk about him, and I talk about him with a great amount of love and respect. And the the interesting thing with Joseph was I, I'm very um, I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm very experimental. I like to put myself out there. In fact, I get no greater joy than saying yes to something I have no idea how I'm going to do, and then figuring out how to do it, and then saying, "Ha, I did it." Um, whereas Joseph was very much the opposite. He was very conservative. He was always saying, are you sure you want to do this? Is this, is this right? Is this safe? Is this good for the business? And that proved to actually be a really great counterpoint. So there was a bit of a, a tension, um, but it certainly kept me from launching the company off the deep end many times into what could have potentially been disastrous, or at the very least, I could have gone there on my own. I could have probably made the leap but I was pulling people along with me now that maybe weren't ready to make that leap. I was moving faster than the company was able to move. And that could have created a huge rupture within the company's culture. And so Joseph was always there to sort of pull me back and, and bring it back into the context of the company. Ultimately though, Peter, the reason that we ended up, you know, folding our business and I sold my part to another agency was, um, that that's the staticness of it. So that, that, that tension of me wanting to go yin and Joseph wanting to go yang, or maybe it's the other way around. And, and uh, we ended up just sort of, <clears throat> pardon me, circling around in the same space. And I wanted to change. I wanted to move. I wanted to grow. And we found that very difficult to do. Um, I think my fault was also not perhaps realizing that or articulating it. And not giving Joseph the opportunity to to change and, or trusting him to be able to sort of go with me on the journey a little bit more and move. And so the answer was for us to sort of dissolve or go our separate ways as opposed to um, trying something new because we had been doing that for 10 years. Now, an interesting thing, uh, I didn't mention this, um, but at the very beginning, we um, when we formed our partnership, Joseph took the opportunity to offer a very, very small 10% of the company to his, you know, his number one employee who had been there for, for a long time. And that was a very interesting uh, dynamic because uh, this person was um, was a very gentle soul, um, wasn't didn't have you know didn't have a lot of ambition, was really happy to do the work and and focus on the craft. A very positive person, very spiritual person, um, and so he didn't contribute to the dynamism in the sense that he didn't want to particularly go in one direction or in another. Should I stay or should I go? He was kind of in the middle. But that created this very interesting triangle where if Joseph wanted one thing and I wanted something else, if we were going to base it on, you know, the share structure of the company, well, Michael, who was that person in the middle, had to take a side. And so we almost naturally had this person that we had to pitch our idea to. 
And it was really interesting. And, 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 and he would sometimes go with me and he would sometimes go with Joseph. And that was a really, really cool dynamic that I would almost say was an interesting lesson um, to be brought to other people that might be looking at that. The partnership didn't have to, he was a bit of a token partner in some regards, um, but it was an interesting, an interesting sort of dynamic that evolved as a result. You almost had the power. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Actually, right. The power behind the throne. (laughs) Never occurred to me. So let's talk about the toys that you have at your house right now, because before we started, you indicated you had a lot of toys. Yes. <laughs> so, so well, what are they? Well, for the most, most of my, if we're going to call them toys, <clears throat> pardon me, most of my toys are around music, right? So I have a lot, I've been collecting musical instruments for all of my life. Um, at one point I was collecting synthesizers like you wouldn't believe um, because I fell in love with synths in the eighties when I was a teenager and rented a few and it just, I almost wanted to have one. And then when I finally had enough money, when I turned 19 or something, I bought one and it was incredible. I, I, I loaned it. I leased it. I can't remember. I had monthly payments. It was craziness, but that addiction kind of grew. And I eventually, you know, ended up having five or six synthesizers, but they were bulky and, and the world has changed. And so, you know, most of the things have gone digital and software based and so on. So I divested myself of them and, and then just started buying real instruments. So I've got, you know, guitars and basses and drums and percussion and all sorts of wonderful things like that. And more recently I've been starting to collect mixing equipment and things like that. So I've got a recording studio downstairs and a recording studio upstairs as well um, for when I, you know, don't feel like coming downstairs because it's so cold down here. Um, And that, that, you know, I would say that, you know, if, if we had to sort of count, count toys there's that's that that forms the the bulk of it and and of course computers and, and all of those things it just sort of seems like you collect you know pcs and computers and laptops over the years and then you just don't want to let them go so i've got almost a little museum of old macs and old windows computers lying around and i guess i should recycle them at some point but i kind of like having them around and they become useful when you start to get into the world of electronics and tinkering you can start disassembling things and you can reuse components and that's kind of fun so with me and the boys we we do a little bit of that kind of makery as well. Um, and then of course, you know, on the, I've got quite a, quite, quite a, a, a woodworking workshop and a 3d printing uh, facility as well. Facility. It's not, it's a big word. I've got a couple of 3d printers in a corner of my house. That's my facility, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's fun and it's extremely creative. In fact, I'm, I'm talking to you and my computer is being held up by a podium that I 3d printed just to make it fit within my setup. So that's, that's really fun. So they all serve a purpose. It's not, you know, it's not collecting for the sake of collecting. And, and in fact, when I moved to Guelph for the first time, I was able to assemble everything in one room. And I realized, good grief, I have enough for an entire band. And I set everything up and I got it hooked up and then COVID hit and no one has been in my basement other than me in, 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 in you know, 12 months. <laughs> okay, final question. Little challenging. Three years from today, What's Tom going to be doing? So, Peter, you and I met, uh, I don't know if it was last week, last week, and you told me this question was coming. So I've been thinking about it. And I'd like to say that I have the answer for you, but I don't. I I don't really know where I'm headed at this point. Uh, I just turned 50 this year, and my trajectory is wide, wide open. Um, you know, I've got a fairly... Uh, 
I've got a, a fairly decent uh, job title that I can parlay into uh, into a, you know another another career move if I wanted to. I've also recently really started to dive deep into uh, the social social purpose and 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 and, and things like that, partially through you know our connection to United Church, for example, and some some movements happening here in my hometown of Guelph. And so that's something that really really interests me. So and then with the entrepreneurial side of things, I would have to say if I had to roll the dice and uh, and take a wild guess at what I would be doing in three years. I would say that I would be an entrepreneur. I would say that I would be creating a product. I would say that it would be software-based or software and hardware. It might be a physical thing uh, that more software that brings good into the world. I'm really, I have been Peter in marketing for two decades or more. And uh, some of this work has been useful uh, some of that work has been just to help companies sell widgets to other companies to sell more widgets. And that emptiness is growing on me like an ache, something I want to fill. So I want to put something into the world, I think, that that has a lot of good. I'd love to say I'd be doing more music, uh, and, and and I will be doing music, but I don't think as a career. I, I'm not sure that that's the, that's the trajectory. I think keeping music sort of sacred is is a good thing. So Tom is an individual where it's TBD to be determined. (laughs) And uh, he doesn't have a website for himself. So you're going to have to connect with the Community Innovation Hub to find out how to connect with Tom and uh, to find out where he goes from here and who he connects with and how he's going to make a difference in the social purpose area. And that's exactly what the Community Innovation Hub is. We engage and we give back to community. So thank you for joining us tonight, Tom. OJ. <laughs> and uh, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Peter. It was great to be able to tell my story. And I do look forward to those connections uh, you were talking about. I'm very, I'm, my spirit is open right now. So uh, let's see where, where it moves me. And by the way, I do have a website. It's tomoj.com. Um, I don't oh. think there's much on it, but I do, I've owned that domain for all of my life. So you can probably contact me there. Okay. Thank you.